What is up, Combo Nation? We are here. Happy Friday to everyone who listens to Combo's Court across the globe. Today's show, Alex Golden of Setting the Pace Podcast joins in to talk Pacers, basketball, and more. You can catch Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenMBA. That's A-L-E-X-G-O-L-D-E-N-N-B-A. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E. T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. If you would like to support this podcast even further, check out the Combos Court Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Podcast, which is a Blue Wires pod. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate you, man. How are things? Man, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to talk basketball with you. Most definitely. And we're here to talk Pacers basketball. So from the Kings perspective, I never liked the trade for them when it comes to Tyrese and Sabotis. I just thought Tyrese Halliburton was a guy. First of all, I was really high on him pre-draft. So also, I thought he was a guy you could kind of build with. You don't necessarily have to build around. And I felt like he was going to become a star player. I didn't like it from the Kings perspective, but I never really spoke on it from the Pacers perspective. So just going back a little bit, what were your initial thoughts on that trade? I mean, I was pretty much stunned uh, when I saw that Halliburton was included in the trade. I didn't necessarily believe that Sabonis was fully going to be shopped. I I thought it was more so Turner and Levert were the more likely candidates. But when Turner went down with that injury last year, it just felt like the Pacers had to pivot. And I think that the Pacers and Kings, they had been tied together quite a bit, but it kept coming back to De'Aaron Fox. And I just didn't think the Pacers were going to go big on De'Aaron Fox, knowing he's got that max deal four years, whatever he's worth, you know, how many, however many million it is per year. Just felt like a little bit too high for a guy that um, I think is still a work in progress. So personally for me, I just felt like the way that they were able to get Halliburton, I know that everybody kind of crushed the Kings for it which I kind of understand because Halliburton does have all-star potential, a uh, really good point guard. So for me personally, like the fact that they just kind of embraced a rebuild for Indiana for the first time and ever, they never had embraced a rebuild here in Indiana. So this was the beginning of the, uh, the rebuild for the Pacers. And I was thoroughly pleased with it, even though Sabonis was my guy losing him did, did stink a little bit because I would have loved to seen him and Halliburton play together. That mm-hmm. offense would have been magic, but with that being said, you have to give up your best player to probably get a guy that's going to be the franchise or the future of your franchise. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Buddy Hill was involved in that deal. Tristan Thompson, none of the other names matter. I mean, it strictly is it's a strictly Halliburton versus bonus trade at the end of the day. And uh, the, the Kings might be better off right now, but I think future wise, the Pacers are the better team. I actually have like some of the Kings moves recently. Um, definitely yeah. didn't like them moving off. Tyrese I feel like Tyrese is like a modern basketball player could shoot it could defend and obviously we saw the passing ability and how high of a level he could get in that regard when he was playing for the Pacers this season yeah no I mean he's a terrific passer Um, we had him on our podcast about two or three weeks ago and he basically just said like his goals for this year 
all right, I score 20 points a game and, and get 10 assists. And I think with De'Aaron Fox, it was a little bit challenging for him to get the proper touches that he needs to fully develop. And then with the Kings going out and getting Davion Mitchell and the draft right after that, it just felt like it was a pretty loaded backcourt where the Pacers had a pretty loaded front court. But, you know, with the Kings, I agree with you. They did make some really nice moves. I know Keegan Murray wasn't a sexy pick, but I think he's a good player. And I've had a hard time trying to convince Pacer fans like that would have been a good pick at six if he would have been there because there was talks in Indiana really liked Keegan Murray. So, I mean, I think he's going to be a good player in the league. I think going out, Harrison Barnes is still a solid veteran role player. I mean, he's not a star by any stretch, but still a really good player. And I really like the move to get Kevin Herter in there. Yeah. As well as bringing on Malik Monk. So I really was impressed with what the Kings did. I think they're going to be, I hate to say this, probably a play-in team at best because that Western Conference is absolutely loaded. Alex, every team, <laughs> every team now I'm hearing about is a play-in team, right? Like that's not like a legitimate <sighs> playoff team. I feel like almost every fan base, like even some of the tanking teams that you think yeah. might tank this year, this fans are talking about playing. I mean, this league is deep right now. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think it's deep. I don't think the Indiana Pacers and their fans are talking about a playing game unless they're just being uh, a bit delusional with what the goal is here. But I look at the, the Western Conference, and I think there's probably 11 teams that have a good case to make the playoffs play in, which really only means there's probably one team on the outside looking in. But I think there's four teams that are more than likely going to be, you know, probably tanking or on that side of the fence. You know, you're looking at your OKCs, your Houston, San Antonio, and then probably Utah at this point, knowing what direction they're headed. So it feels like those are the four teams you don't really have to worry about too much in the in the Western Conference. But yeah, in terms of the Pacers, though, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting off track here a little bit with, with Halliburton. Um, I definitely do believe that the future is is bright here with Halliburton because he is a he's a he's a point guard, and he talked about this on our podcast as well. Because he was paired next to Fox, everybody kept calling him a shooting guard. He's like, I'm not a shooting guard. He's like, that's never been my game. So I think it was kind of silly of the Kings to move off of him. I think they should have tried harder to move off of Fox. I know right now Fox might be a little bit more established as a player, but I think overall, if you look at the future and you project. It just feels like Halliburton would have been a better fit at the point guard position because of his three-point shooting and his, you know, I don't think Darren Fox is a very good defender either. So, um, <laughs> you know, Halliburton's got a little bit more size there too. So uh, I definitely think that the Kings made a risk by moving off of Halliburton as soon as they did. Um, but, you know, for the Pacers, it, it worked out because they've done a very good job at finding teams that move off their players too soon. Because think about it, they got Sabonis after his first season with OKC right. and a trade for Paul George. And now uh, they, they got Jalen Smith last year in his second season uh, for Torrey Craig. And now they just re-signed him to a, a three-year deal with a, a player option in the last year of that deal. And he's going to be their starting power forward. So I think they've done a good job of, you know, targeting young, young talent and being able to go out there and, and get it off teams that are willing to maybe offer them up when they shouldn't. Right. So you mentioned the number six pick and another guy I was really high on pre-draft. Um, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, like Tyrese yeah. Halliburton and Ben Matherin were guys that I talked about a lot on my podcast going into the draft. So I love that they're now a backcourt together. Obviously, Duarte's in the mix as well. But when we're talking about Matherin, I mean, he has the frame. He could obviously shoot the basketball. He cuts well with in space, which is going to be yeah. great for Tyrese. Um, the defense isn't there yet, but he has all the tools. So to me, he has star potential himself. What did you like from what you saw when it comes to summer league with his play? 
I think I just liked the efficiency that he shot the ball with. Right. Um, right. You know, good catch and shooter. I still think he's got to work quite a bit on his one-on-one game, not his thing, but I don't think he'll have to rely yeah. on that too, too much with Halliburton out there being such a pass first guy that's going to create so much offense for him. But when he catches the ball and when he's taking his, you know, uh, defender off the drive, he's able to get into their body and get to the basket. I think there was, I think it was his last game of summer league. He had 10 free throws. And that to me just kind of speaks to what he can become using that upper body strength that he has to, you know, get to the free throw line as well as knock down the outside shot and the mid range. I mean, I think he's got the full package and he's, we already know this. He's super athletic. I mean, he's not afraid to try to dunk on somebody. I think he had like a, maybe an alley-oop or something like that, or a rebound slam or something. I can't remember. He had some nice flashy plays. I think defensively yeah. though, the potential's there for sure. He's still a raw, uh, he's still raw pretty much in every area, but defensively, a lot of room to improve on that side of the ball, but I also think like with his size, uh, he'll be able to guard a little bit bigger, you know, players in the league, probably guys yeah. are a couple inches taller than him. And right. I think that's one thing the Pacers really need because they don't have a lot of guys at that small forward position, um, you know, like a Paul George or a Kawhi Leonard, like those type of guys, they don't really have any of those on their roster. So uh, don't think he's that, but he's probably the closest thing they have to that outside of uh, O'Shea Brissett. You know, you mentioned creating his own, and it's interesting because I always looked at him as a high floor, high ceiling guy. Because if he never really gets the skill to create his own, he could still be a very good NBA player. But if he gets that, now we're talking all-star potential. Yeah, I can see it for sure. I mean, that's just one aspect of his game that he's really got to improve on because it just seems a little clunky right now. At times when you watch him play, it's not like a fluid, like, Mm. oh, clear out. I'm going to go get my own basket. He's... I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe it, but that's just the easiest way to make it as simple as possible. It's just, you you look at him and you can say, get us a bucket, but he's not the greatest at creating separation. So that's something that he's going to have to continue to improve upon. But I think he's a great movement shooter, like just a fantastic movement shooter. And you mentioned Chris Duarte, their pick last year. He's great at that too. So Halliburton having two snipers out there on the perimeter with him while he's a sniper himself from three. I mean, I, I know that this season might be a little bit rough, but I think moving forward with that with that level of shooting, you've got to be a little bit intrigued by what the Pacers can become. Yeah, I mean, three guys that can shoot the basketball. I feel like they're going to like steal a bunch of wins because of the variance of that three-point <laughs> shot. I mean, if they're all hitting, but maybe they're not playing great in other areas, you could still like sneak out wins. <laughs> Yeah, they still got a long ways to go defensively, and that's where they're going to lose a lot of games this year. I mean, offensively, they might be really fun. I think they were fun last year. I mean, Buddy Hill probably had his best, uh, you know, season with the Pacers, and he's probably had in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that hasn't been a good situation with him and the Kings for a long time, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he averaged 18, 18.2 points at the Pacers last year on pretty good shooting. I mean, 36% from three and 55% from two. So, I mean, he, he shot the ball. Well, was a little bit more of a playmaker. I think he averaged almost five assists per game as well. So that was something that the Pacers allowed, Buddy to do was be more of a facilitator, be more of a playmaking guard than he was allowed to be in Sacramento where he was more of a catch and shoot guy. So um, yeah, but I, I think there's a chance they might be able to pull some games out against some teams you wouldn't expect, but I think over an 82 game season, like, just listening to the front office talk when Halliburton came on, he's like, yeah, it's going to be a long year. Like we're going to have a lot to prove. So I think with all of these young guys going into it, knowing that they're probably not going to be that good. 
it, it does kind of set them up to be one of the bottom feeders of the East. But if you look at next year's draft class, like it is just really exciting uh, to think about adding one of those talents to the Pacers and their young core. Are you thinking about Wemby? I mean, you have to be if you're <laughs> if you're taking right. Uh, Victor right. Wembanyama would be huge for this team because they desperately need someone that can just. I mean, just uh, they don't have to me right now that A level All Star on their team. I mean, I think Halliburton as good as he can become. I don't think he's like that alpha male number one player on your team that's going to lead you to a championship. I think he's like a really good complimentary piece. Same with Matherin. Like I know you talked about Matherin reaching something. I, I see Matherin as more of like uh, that B star with you got, like so you're thinking like not comparing their games to his game per se but like drew holiday level yeah i mean that's that's a fair one like you know you know yeah. drew is great but you if, know if he's if he's your best player I, and and i i'm actually i've been saying he's been underrated for years like i love yeah. his game but if he's your best player then you know you might it's gonna to be tough to win a championship, right? Yeah, I mean, Drew's a great player. I don't think he's a superstar. I mean, he's really good. Maybe great's a, a little bit over. Nah, there. I mean, like the, his two way, <laughs> his two way ability is great, though. In a lot yeah, of ways, yeah, it, it, it is. But like, he needs that alpha. He needs that Giannis, right? Right. And right, that's right. what the Pacers are missing. Like, you know, they've got the the all stars. They just don't have the superstar. And you know, we're projecting here for these all stars, obviously. But like, that's been their case pretty much since their existence. They really haven't had that superstar. I mean, Paul George was probably the closest thing they've had to that guy, but it just seemed like once he got injured and whenever the team kind of changed up a little bit from those Eastern conference finals runs, it just felt like, you know, he was always that guy that needed someone else to be with him. That's why he's always had like a Russell Westbrook or a, uh, or a Kawhi Leonard since he's left the Pacers, like great player, but he doesn't want to be that alpha male. So, um, but I, I mean, he could carry you though, which I think is what the Pacers need is someone that can kind of put them on their back and say, Hey, follow me to the promised land. And like, that's why when they were a seven seed, they were able to compete with like a Toronto Raptors as a two seed and take them to seven games because Paul's that good. So yeah, I'm definitely looking at Victor uh, Scoot Henderson, obviously another guy that's really exciting. Um, in terms of fit wise, though, the Pacers have so many guards. You have to wonder if like that'd be their perfect fit, but I love those Thompson twins quite a bit. And oh, uh, yeah. a, a Sir and a, and a, and a Min are just like going to be really special players. So, I mean, if the did, Pacers did, can get one of those four guys, I'm going to be pretty excited. Did you get to watch them in TBT? I, I haven't had a chance to watch them in TBT. No, I've been super busy. Oof. But Yeah, super athletic. I mean, I actually went down to Atlanta and watched the play in person at OTE, which was great. But, man, like just seeing that against – I mean, that's high-level basketball. Like it's not yeah. NBA basketball, but they're playing against men – and athletically, the way they popped was incredible. Was there one that stood out to you more than the other? Yeah, man, but I get mixed up. One got a little more handle, but I get yeah, mixed a up. Serves, a serves the offensive guru, amends the defensive guru. Yeah, so. I think the offensive guy, he has like a little more like self-creation in his game and handle. Yes. And I get confused, but I mean, it's tough to like. It's <laughs> the Thompson twins, man. <laughs> but they're both incredibly athletic, man. Incredibly yeah. athletic. So to shift slightly, but not really. Yeah. Um. What lineups are you looking forward to when it comes to player lineups for the Pacers coming into the season? Yeah, I mean, looking at their roster right now, I think you would have to project that, you know, Halliburton, Matherin, Miles Turner, Jalen Smith are your at least your four starters. Wow. And then trying to figure out who that guy is that's going to start at shooting guard because a lot of people think it's got to be Chris Duarte because you're with this youth movement. But Buddy Hill's still on the roster. He started all of the games that he played last year for the Pacers, and I have to wonder – 
do the Pacers put him in that starting position to allow him to maybe get his stock up a little bit more uh, in terms of if they're trying to move off of him? Because we've heard a lot of rumblings that they'd like to move off of Turner and Buddy Heal. Um, obviously they've been in some trade rumors with the Los Angeles Lakers for Russell Westbrook, that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, and I wonder how Buddy would embrace going to the bench. I think he understands where the team is at, but at the same time, he wants to win and he wants to play. So that's going to be tough. I would start, I would start Duarte for sure. If it was me picking and not worrying about like the betterment of like the asset and all that kind of stuff, just looking at the future of the team. But th- that five right there, if you put Duarte in the starting lineup there with Turner, Jalen Smith, uh, like I said, Matherin and Halliburton, that's really in- that's really interesting to me. I'm also interested in maybe seeing O'Shea Brissett in there for Miles Turner and going a little bit smaller with Jalen Smith at the five, O'Shea at the four, Matherin at the three, Duarte at the two, and Halliburton at the one. I think that could be a really fun lineup that gets up and down the court quite a bit. Uh, you're going to be lacking a lot defensively there. But, um, you know, Jalen Smith is a – I mean, he can protect the room. He's not like Miles Turner level. And then Isaiah Jackson, another guy on their bench that can um, play some of those minutes at the center. Maybe you give him some of Turner's minutes instead of playing O'Shea. But I just like the idea of just the versatility this roster has. And I, I think a lot of the young core here, it's going to be really exciting to watch a play. Did you like the idea of maxing Aiden, even though it didn't go through? Oh, I loved it. I was a thousand percent in on this deal. I, I think that DeAndre Aiden is a little bit, underrated in terms of how he's covered i get that there is some stuff to be desired there for sure but i do think and believe that if given the opportunity he could be a consistent three-point shooter i don't know what his like numbers percentage-wise could be but like at least like 36 percent, 37 i think he could do that because he's got such a soft touch from the mid-range and down low and when you look at the pacers like they don't have a guy that's really dominant in the pick and roll game with halliburton because both jalen smith and miles turner are better at pick and pop. So your best rim runner or your best, you know, roller in a pick and roll right now on the roster is probably Isaiah Jackson because of his lob threat ability. But I just think, you know, Aiden obviously doesn't have the passing touch like a DeMontis Sabonis does or anything like that, but he's a bigger guy that's going to put pressure at the rim, which is going to just open up so much more for the outside game as well. Because right now my biggest fear is like not a lot of guys that can create for themselves. Number one, number two, no real low, post threat even though like that's something that's kind of been taken out of the game a little bit i still think that it's valuable because look at like a Jokic, you can put him down low Embiid, you can put him down low and get some points you're, you're freaking out if they're by the rim you're not really worried about turner or jalen smith if they're by the rim you're like okay thanks take that shot uh sabonis was uh, able to put pressure on the rim or at the rim because of his ability, number one, to just kind of power through guys, but also to make good passes if he was to get double team, triple team, and, you know, that kind of thing. So I I desperately think they needed that, and that's why I was a big fan of Aiton. But I also knew, like, unless it was a signing trade or they were involved in some kind of three-team deal, it was very unlikely to get him just because what were the Suns going to do? They can't let a number one overall pick walk for nothing. So um, I guess I was just a little bit disappointed with the contract that they did give him, though. Do you feel that Buddy and Miles don't seem to be in the plans of the Pacers basically because of the timeline, or is it something else? I definitely think with Buddy it's because of the timeline and because of how many guys they have at that position already. Like you're looking at, you know, they just traded for Aaron Neesmith, who's in his third year now. Uh, Like I said, they drafted Chris Duarte last year, Benedict Matherin this year. I think right there at that point, some of your, you, you know, some of the guys in your youth movement that you're most excited about, play the same position so you got to find time for him um 
but so like the age thing, I definitely think impacts him now with miles. I think the big thing here is he's in an expiring year. He's only 26 years old. So I don't think he's like too old to be a part of this rebuild, but he is going to be a free agent next summer. And you have to wonder if there's a reason why they haven't come to an extension agreement. Is it because miles Turner wants to see what's out there in the summer? Or is it because the Pacers don't view him as a long-term center? I mean, the fact that they went after DeAndre Ayton had to make things a little bit awkward for Miles being on the roster already, because it can, it pretty much just said, we don't think you're the answer <laughs> at that center position. So how is he supposed to embrace that? Especially since like, that's kind of a slap in the face, whether you think it is or not. Like, I think it is personally, like, you're just like, Hey, you've been our center for seven years, but we're going to go a different route. Cause this guy's like a year or two younger than you. So you know, I, I do like Miles Turner, though, uh, as a rim protector. I think that he can flourish, definitely maybe being in the solo center in this style of offense and maybe get his stats up a little bit more. But he's in a contract here, so he's going to be playing a lot differently, in my opinion. He just he's into the last two seasons, though, with injuries. So you have to wonder if that's in the back of the Pacers mind as well we're worried about his long-term health. We don't want to invest in him long-term. And so there's been some reporting from Bob Kravitz of the athletic that said, you know, he didn't hear it from miles, but basically miles Turner doesn't want to sign an extension to stay in Indianapolis. And I'm assuming he got that from the Pacers side of things, because who else would he have got it from if it wasn't from miles Turner and he had a one-on-one with Kevin Pritchard. So, you know, connecting the dots, it feels like there's some stuff like the Pacers have leaked like, Hey, We've talked with him and he doesn't want to sign that extension to be here for next year. So I don't have a problem if they feel like after seeing him play this year and he works out well, you know, keeping him on long-term. I mean, if he fits and that's fine, I think it's great. You got to see it before you extend him. But at the same time, I just feel like there's been so much uh, back and forth between the two in terms of like trade rumors and, Sabonis taking a spot in the starting lineup, you know, playing next to him, having to take a back seat because he was told like, hey, we want you to work on your low post game, do that. And then all of a sudden they start Sabonis and they're like, all right, you're going to be on the perimeter now. And he was like, what? So, I mean, he has had a sacrifice, but I think at the same time, Turner's not been as aggressive as he could have been to try to maximize the most out of his role and what he's been able to do. So I think it's a little bit of both sides, but uh, I'll wrap it up here quickly on this one. I just... I feel like long-term wise, it just doesn't seem to fit because of all of the previous stuff that's happened in the relationship. You know how it is. You can't um, put a Band-Aid on something and think it's just going to fix everything. Um, the relationship seems to be okay, but not great. And we know how okay relationships are. They end up falling apart eventually. Why do you think that Sabonis and Miles Turner didn't work out? I mean, it's just the league, man. It's just like... Yeah playing two bigs next to each other, especially like I love I mean, Sabonis. I mean, the Cavs, Minnesota is trending in that direction. Okay. So we'll, we'll look at the Cavs a little bit differently because you're looking at a guy in Evan Mobley that can defend his butt off. Okay. Um, not maybe the rim protector that Jared Allen is, but he's still a really good defender. And I think Jared Allen's a better defender uh, in space than Miles Turner is. I think Turner's a better rim protector, but I think Allen's a little bit better. Maybe if you're, playing drop or you're switching a little bit. I think Turner's not the greatest uh, one-on-one defender, but I think he's great. Like he's probably one of the best in the league, if not the best in timing shots and blocking him. So like, really you're kind of funneling everything to him, but like in Sabonis's three years, like he didn't um, three to four years here, he didn't look bad under Nate McMillan. I thought he looked absolutely horrible in Nate Bjorkman's defensive scheme because Bjorkman was having him like 
hedge on Russell Westbrook, like out at the perimeter? Like, what are, what are you expecting to happen here? Like, you're not going to be able to guard Russell Westbrook. And why are we hedging on Westbrook at the three point line when he's not a three point shooter, allowing him to get to the rim? So, you know, I just felt like where this team goes, like Sabonis is, is a very smart player and his basketball IQ helps him become a better defender. But overall, I just feel like he's not a good guy to guard in space. He's kind of got short arms, not really a rim protector. He'll rebound the heck out of the ball. But other than that, you know, like Rudy Gobert and is, a, is an amazing defender, whether people want to give him the proper credit or not. Carl Anthony Towns, a lot to be desired there <laughs> on the defensive side of things. But at least Cat can drop 30-something a night if he needs to. And Sabonis, as good as he is, he's not um, as great offensively as Cat is for sure. So I, I personally just think – why it didn't work out um number one injuries to the overall roster never really got to seem fully healthy is a big thing and number two it's just like if you could put them together they'd be the perfect center but they both like their weaknesses were just so glaring in the areas that they were that it just made for a tougher situation for them uh for that team to really for that duo to really gel together wow hearing you say that it actually makes me think about that like if you combine cat and go bear They'd be the perfect center as oh, well. That's true. Way better than <laughs> way better than Turner and Sabonis. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Last thing before we get out of here. Um, yeah. Teams are getting in trouble for tampering, but it's only mm-hmm. certain teams. My question to you is, what do you feel the worst that could happen if the NBA just turned a blind eye to it? I guess it could just cause for issues later down the road. I, I don't have a problem with them investigating tampering. I, I think it's something that I think they should be a little bit stricter on. Um, because like, it is tough. Like, for example, the Jalen Brunson thing, like Dallas had their chance and they didn't extend him when they could have, and they could have got him at a much cheaper deal. Uh, he balls out, he becomes a free agent. And now the contract that offer that he's getting is just like ungodly compared to what they were going to give him before. So kind of sucks for them. Right. But they kind of made that bed themselves and they got to lay in it. Um, in terms of the Knicks, like if you're going to be really going after a free agent hard, maybe be a little bit more discreet about it and don't hire the man's dad on your coaching staff and all this other stuff. Like it would have been out there for like months. Okay. So I think what really does stink is that they take away second round draft picks because number one, it really doesn't mean anything to these teams that are doing it. Number two, it's eliminating, you know, potential young players to get an opportunity and get a contract um, or at least get drafted. You know what I'm saying? in the NBA. So I I think that tampering, there needs to be more of a penalty on it. I don't know what exactly that could be, but like maybe the pick that you forfeit goes to the team that you tampered with that player that was on. So, you know, so that way that the Knicks get caught for tampering and then Dallas gets their second round pick. It's just like that way the pick's not forfeited, but it's given to the other team based on that. And, you know, whatever they decide to do with it, they can do with it. But it's just kind of frustrating to me to, you know, hear about tampering, but it's just like, like you said, it's not consistent at all whatsoever. Like when Paul George requested a trade, like it was all about the Lakers were tampering and the Pacers filed a complaint about it and stuff like that. And so then Paul George, like they weren't going to trade him there. And then he could have went there and decided not to say with OKC. So it was just kind of weird, kind of felt like there was something maybe like <laughs> under the table going on, right? Like maybe the, maybe OK, or maybe Paul George and the NBA, like we're like, yeah, you can't go to the Lakers. We're not going to file uh, file tampering but you just can't go to, like, I, I don't know, I'm playing conspiracy theory here now. But um, overall, I don't really care that much about tampering. But if you're going to if you're gonna hammer down on it, then hammer down on it and don't penalize young players coming into the league because of, you know, 
stupid rules that are set up in place anyway. Most definitely. Alex, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you on social media and where can we find the podcast? Yeah, for sure. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alex Golden NBA, uh, mostly on Twitter. Uh, Instagram's kind of meh, not on there too much, but find the podcast wherever you get your uh, podcast at. Just type in Setting the Pace, the Pacers podcast. We're on YouTube at that. Uh, mm-hmm. We're on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. We're on Instagram at Pacers Talk. So, you know, I think you guys are going to really enjoy some of the content we got out there. We got some cool guests on, had on uh, Lance Stevenson. We had on O'Shea Brissett, Isaiah Jackson, Tyrese Halliburton. We've had Kevin Pritchard on uh, twice before. We've had former greats like Ron Artest, Jermaine O'Neal, David West on our show. So I think, you know, we try to provide a lot of different Pacers content that's not always out there for all of our listeners. So if you're a Pacer fan and you're listening to this and um, you're tired of hearing me ramble, then go listen to me ramble some more somewhere else. <laughs> if you're a Pacers fan or if you're not a Pacers fan, you just want to true, true. Hear, hear some great conversations. Yeah, that that is true. I mean, we do get into some good stuff there. Like, obviously, some of the guys that played for us didn't play for us the whole time. So we do talk about right, other parts right. of their career. But at the same time, you know, it is Pacers podcast. So we always send, uh, are Pacers centric on our conversation. But I mean, some really good stuff. And I will say this. Uh, We have an episode coming out on the weekend of like August 6th or 7th on YouTube with Derek Murray of basketballnews.com does a great job covering the NBA draft. And uh, after we spend about 15 minutes talking about the Pacers draft, we jump into the upcoming 2023 class and he just gives a great rundown of some of those players. So I think you guys will thoroughly enjoy that. Shouts to Derek combos court alumni for sure. Great guy. (laughs) All right, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time. You're always welcome back and talk soon. All right, brother. Sounds good. Thank you. There it is. Another episode of Combo's Court. Big shouts to Alex for joining in. We appreciate you, Combo Nation. Share this episode. Share with a friend. Share it on social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories and tag me on there at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. If you would like to support this podcast, check out the Combo's Court Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Be on the lookout for episode two. Nine zero combo out.